Welcome back to the 68th episode of the Opvac Cast. I am Steve Cuff, and joining me today, I got Adam Myros. Hi, Steve. Hi, Myros. Did you know that for the next 12 hours, all crime is legal? Well, better James DeMonico better hope he's not within a 12-hour <laughs> trip from me. Yeah, that's. I think that's a fair assessment. I feel the same way. Uh, Sean Glynis is here too. Hi. Hi, Sean. Guess what? I get to see you tomorrow. How exciting is that for you? I'm very excited, Steve. Well, it's it's completely underwhelming for me, so I'm yeah. glad that you're happy. Uh, uh, Jake is here as well. Okay. Hey, Steve. I got my Class 4 weaponry sharp and ready to go. Excellent. Do, did we ever find out what Class 4 weaponry was? Does that just mean, like, no grenades? It's like senior, senior year. It's like stuff you would use senior year, like that kind of weaponry. Yeah. Senior year. That makes there sense. Was, there was mention of explosion. Yeah, I think it's explosion. It's an illegal explosive yeah. at some point. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, obviously, uh, every gun, like, with a standard bullet is on, like, that. that's that's fine. So it has to be, like, but also, there's, a like, a bazooka about to be used or something. Not really a bazooka, but, like, uh, some sort of no, uh, there's, grenade there's launcher type There's definitely thing. a bazooka in the fourth one. Which is the oh, first one. Well, certainly a bazooka. So it has I'm, to be I'm, like some sort of explosive, which that's just arbitrary. Do we even say what we're talking about here? I don't think we do. I don't think so. We're, we're talking about the perch today, boys. God. Uh, and, and we're not just talking about the brand new first perch. Um, I guess because we're all masochists, we decided that it would be a good idea. And by we, I mean, I, I think this is actually my fault, to watch all of the purge movies. Uh, to binge the purge, if you will, and I don't know if I'm a better person for it. I got to be honest with you. I, I feel a little drained mentally, physically, emotionally, and I'm going to go ahead and blame the purge on all that. If, if only we could purge the purge. <laughs> yeah, that that would actually be you know if if I was part of the purge, that would be my first move would be to somehow destroy everything associated with these films. So. But I guess that'd be kind of weird. In the Purge universe, do you think we'd still have the Purge movies? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, Lenny Riefenstein directs. <laughs> God in heaven. All right, boys. So before this week, when you subjected yourself to this nonsense, mm-hmm. what, what was your exposure to the Purge? How, uh, how purgy uh, was your life? First of all, I want to say welcome back to the Boomhouse podcast. Uh, yes. Second of all, um, my only experience before this was I saw the first one in the cinema, maybe? I think I saw the first one in the cinema. That's it. I don't think you're allowed to call it the cinema when it's put <laughs> Oh, get out. <laughs> Speaking Jake, of get out, also by Bloomhouse. I did. Also by Bloomhouse. I did see the first one in the theater when it was released. and then In the movie house. I, the Cineplex. I saw it at my local art house down in Santa Monica, and uh, as soon as uh, the second and third ones were released, I steered clear because I thought the first one was total garbage. And then they played the, at the Chinese theater. The four, the man, I don't know, maybe it's very possible. 
Um, but then the fourth one has now been released, and I went back and watched uh, two and three. And saw four in theaters last night, and here we are. Here that we are, my baby. Experience. Uh, me, I'd, I'd only seen the trailer for the first movie. That is the extent of what I have uh, seen, purge-wise. Mm. And then you yeah, watched them I mean, chronologically. Uh, yeah, yeah. I started uh, with the first one, the first purge. Right? That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> This is like it's it's like when the uh, the Star Wars fanboys and instead of watching them like in the years that they were actually released like original trilogy and then the the George Lucas prequels like, you, you watch it in the special order that they've determined that's kind of how you did it Myros right right yeah yeah uh, made it less confusing with the Force ghosts and whatnot yeah that's that makes sense that makes sense I, I mean for me I my my I guess I'm the most purgy veteran of of the group. I saw the second Purge movie, which is called The Purge Anarchy, at some point, uh, although I was too drunk to remember anything about it, which, if you're listening to this podcast right now, no matter which Purge movie you choose to watch, I would recommend being too drunk to remember it. (laughs) That's probably the best way to go. And so I didn't remember much about it. And then I actually saw the, the, The Purge election year, which is the third movie in the series. I saw that in the movie theater because friend of the show, Mark Davey, who is a lunatic, uh, insisted that I go see it with him. And it was probably one of the most miserable uh, movie theater-going experiences of my life. So uh, glad I got to relive that again in my living room. It was, it was wonderful. Really was into that. I feel like Mark Davey would be like... Arguing the merits of the purge. <laughs> yeah, I know we should have had him on the show. No, we should not have had him on the show. Yeah, I, Myros- mean, I don't mean the films. I mean the the event itself. Yeah, the actual event. Yeah, no, I, I think that's why he was into it because he was like, "This is a good idea because you know you get to oppress poor people." How, Myros, for, for for people who don't know Mark Davy, which I'm guessing is 99.9 percent of our audience, how would you describe him briefly for the audience? Uh, he's drunk like 90% of the time, and he's probably still wearing a MAGA hat. Yeah. Just, like, picture, like, a really drunk Balky from Perfect Strangers who's <laughs> super into Trump. That's basically Mark Davey. Uh, the, the story that I always tell people when I try and describe him before they, you know, meet him is one time when Myros and I were in college and we were living together. This is, like, probably a decade ago. It was like three in the morning, and Myros and I were just up drinking and, I don't know, watching something. And all of a sudden, we hear our front door open. Mark Davey walks in unannounced. And at the time, he wasn't even living in Kalamazoo where we were going to school. And he just walks into our living room. He's got a big tobacco dip in his lip. And he walks in the middle of the living room, and he goes, Hey, guys! And then his pants just fell to his ankle. <laughs> Jeez. And we were like, what the fuck? And he was just like, they were too restrictive on the drive down. Oh, my God. The odd thing is that at this stage in in Steve's life that he's still introducing people to Mark Davey. Yeah, he tried to kill me one night. Yeah, Yeah, he did. He did try to kill Sean um, with I don't even know with what hard liquor. I think it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is also a guy who's gotten kicked out of no less than like five casinos, including one where he stripped down completely nude and was just like wandering the hallways, I believe. And then they asked him to leave, which makes sense. Uh, he's a guy who loses his wallet frequently, loses his clothes frequently. He's just uh, probably makes know. more money than all of us. And he yeah. does. All of us combined, actually, right. in, in my assessment. <laughs> so this is the world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but enough about psychotic people that we've known for you know over a decade. I, I where where do you even begin with the purge? And I, I guess we have to begin where the, the purge chooses to begin, which is a little Ethan Hawke joint from 2013 called simply the purge. Now let me set the scene for you, dear listener. Imagine this elevator pitch in the future. Uh, America is run by a totalitarian regime uh, where, in order to prevent crime, there's capital punishment for all crimes, regardless of their severity, except for one day a year where all crime is legal for 12 hours. Hmm, interesting premise. A lot you can do with that, right? If you're, if you're a low-budget uh, studio, like, say, Bloomhouse, you're probably salivating at the thought of doing something with this. So... How do you make this film? Like, where, where do you go with it? There's so many possibilities with this world that you've created with this scenario. And in the original Purge movie, they decide that the best way to handle this is a home invasion film about a shitty, white, rich family that I cannot be bothered to give a fuck about. Is that right? Is, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I don't even take. Yeah, I don't even take umbrage with that setup though, because I think that at its heart, the purge claims to be about class conflict, and setting it up in such a way could work. But you have to do again a film I'm finding myself citing more and more lately. Uh, Larry Cohen's Bone is is kind of a similar setup. Bone, uh, yeah. home invasion of these uh, sort of yuppie assholes and uh you're not you're not meant to root for the the yuppies of course and that's that's where this film goes wrong it yeah you you can't make a movie about class conflict where the heroes are part of the upper class doesn't make any sense yeah i agree and and if you're doing a home invasion and you know, the home being invaded here is a family of people who literally don't have the means to adequately protect themselves during this. That makes perfect sense. But we don't yeah. we don't get that. And I, I, the other thing is, maybe there's another way to do this film, too, with a little more nuance and a little more thought. But writer, director, creator of The Purge, James DeMonico, I honestly don't even think he read the Wikipedia page for Class Conflict. It's kind of astounding that you would create this kind of a film because not only does it come off as tone deaf, but it's just, it goes out of its way to downplay its own political nature, which sort of ramps up in the sequels. But in the first movie, it's really trying hard to not be political in any way. Uh, maybe that's for the best, but I don't know. I knew I was in trouble with this movie the second, like, this RC car with a burned doll's head rolled into the frame. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, this these, is what we're doing. <laughs> these series yeah. uh, turn into twisted metal uh, every so often. Well, every good horror movie needs, like, an edgelord teen idiot. And 
boy, does this movie have one. And actually, pretty much everyone in this family is a fucking moron, save for maybe the wife, but she's just sort of complacent and uh, about as flat of a character as you could create for a film. So it's almost like by default she sucks the least because she's the most underdeveloped. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the movie, and again, it does have, this is the only one of these films that really has any cast of note. Uh, the wife is uh, Lena Headey, who's famous for Game of Thrones at this stage, but she's certainly capable. Uh, Ethan Hawke is also obviously very capable, but he he's certainly not engaged in this film, and, and how could you be? Yeah, and it's astounding how bad this is. Like, even even devoid of the premise and, and how shitty the characters are, just as a base default home invasion film, you know... I, I can't even begin to express how fucking stupid this entire movie is. It's it is absolutely astounding, and I, I try to look for the best in everything that we watch because I, I don't want to just shit on everything. It just seems like this is the path that you guys lead me down, or maybe I'm leading you down this path. Uh, but if you do want to see a shit on things, caustic content—that's uh, a podcast on the Optimism Vaccine Network. But uh, anyways, f- when I was watching the original Purge from 2013. I tried to write down things that were good because I, I immediately knew I was like, this is very bad. I need to try and find some glimmer of hope here. The only two things that I wrote down in my notebook were Ethan Hawke's jawline and the villain sort of looks like Charlie Kirk. And that's that's all I have. I have nothing for this movie. <laughs> I kind of like the open. Uh, with the security cam footage uh, set to Debussy, and I was like, oh, this is uh, kind of fun. Maybe this this yeah. is going to have a tone I can get behind. Uh, but again, burned dollhead and just such a misguided script, because this movie doesn't end up uh, really dealing with class conflict at all. The villains of the film are just other members of the upper class yeah. who are... Just uh, spoiled rich kids, bunch of affluent white like people. psychopaths. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and and as far as class conflict goes, like Ethan Hawke's family inadvertently shelters this uh, homeless African American, and this film is as blunt as can be. It, it essentially the villainous character walks up to Ethan Hawke's door and delivers a monologue that's like, "We are rich," and that guy is a. <laughs> Worthless, poor scumbag. Give him to us so we can kill him because he is poor. It's like fucking god damn it. Write a monologue. <laughs> well, and to Ethan Hawke's credit, he he really tries. <laughs> he tries to give him this guy, but uh, apparently they live in like uh you know the world's largest estate, and and God bless him, he can't find the fucking guy. And this is astounding too because, and it goes back to my point where it goes out of its way to try and be apolitical with this because obviously you introduce this character who is the only black character in the film, who's the only poor character in the film, and they just sort of plop him in at random moments. And they don't really use him except for the end where he's the, you know, the the savior figure, but it's just this like Deus Ex Machina scenario where you know he's in the house and you know he's the key to, you know, solving whatever issue they're having here. 
but they 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 never use him. He's he's in the movie for like a total of like thirty seconds. There's a couple of confrontation scenes, and then Ethan Hawke just sort of forgets about him, and they can't they can't do anything with him. I think it's, they I think they thought it would be clever, like that the audience would forget about him, and then when he came back in the end, they'd be like, "Whoa, what a shock!" Yeah, uh, it doesn't fucking work. No, not at all, not in the least. It's horrible, absolutely horrible. And he's he's not again he's not a character. If anything, he's a he's a tool. That's all he is. He's a tool that they use just to get to their ending, basically. So as you mentioned, you have these. Ethan Hawke is this rich guy who has actually profited for by creating security systems to help other rich people during the purge, and uh, because his son is a fucking idiot. And because this security system is so hilariously shitty, it's literally, it's it's just an iPad that says, like, arm, disarm. And the kid just wanders into this room and just hits the disarm button and all the whole thing just, whoop, open right up. And then hey, this guy can walk in. We've all been there before, Steve. Yeah, we've, we've, all, we've all been there. We've all been there. And there's also no indication that this edgelord kid even gives a fuck like everything we we learn about his character he's just got like sweet ass like dark i'm a teen purge drawings all over his wall and so i don't know how we're expected to assume he has any shred of empathy until he sees like a black person for the first time and he's just like oh now i have decided this is bad and then he goes and like hits the button and lets this guy in and Uh, it's insane also the blast doors are like just removed via a truck with a chain. Again, it's just not, it doesn't seem all that uh, secure, frankly. Yeah, and they're still able to knock out the power to the house, too, which also renders the second half of the movie in near complete darkness. Yeah. Which, for anyone, for anyone who's seen any of these movies, they all look terrible because their lack of visibility and their inherent unwatchability. There's also uh, a really funny subplot of Ethan Hawke has a teenage daughter who has a boyfriend, and he's he sneaks into the house to kill Ethan Hawke because he won't let her date him. And then I think he's immediately just... I didn't watch rewatch this film, but I think isn't he just immediately killed by Ethan Hawke before oh, the yeah, he gets shot happens? immediately. Yes. <sighs> it goes nowhere. This, yeah. And again, there is this this is a running theme in these movies, at least the ones that are totally unsuccessful. Um, why isn't the plot of the film, there's a subplot in the film about how the neighbors resent <sighs> Ethan Hawke and his wife for capitalizing on them and building the biggest mansion yeah. in the neighborhood off their money. And it comes back in the third act. Whoa. The neighbors Hello? end up joining in with these scalawags and trying to kill them. Uh, but why isn't that just the fucking plot of the movie? What is even the purpose of this homeless man and these outside kids? It, it's nonsense. Just streamline, please. Yeah, it's absolutely well, nonsense. It's a, it's a good thing that they did that. <laughs> Sean, how excited are you about this? We, we, we did not mean to wake you. It's a good thing they did streamline it in the much better sequel the purge anarchy it, it is a step up are we are we moving on to that one i i, I don't think there's anything we got else four to say of these other than, to get through 
we, we got we got four of these to get through, and I, I think we can all agree there is literally nothing of redeemable value in the Purge 2013. All of the characters suck. Ethan Hawke's an asshole. His wife is a non-character who's complacent. They don't use the only African American character to like say anything of, of meaningful. The thirteen-year-old kid is some edge lord idiot. The the daughter again non-character. And the boyfriend of the daughter uh, hasn't watched enough episodes of Dateline because apparently his solution to your dad doesn't like me is fucking shoot him and then you'll date me and everything will be cool. That's not usually how it works. Everything is terrible. <laughs> I had one question to pause before we move on because we're not exactly running behind just yet. Um, can anyone, like, to me, I think this might be the worst home invasion movie I've ever seen. I, I, I was trying to think of a worse one, but I, I couldn't. I was looking... Uh, nothing came to mind. No. What's this the home a- invasion canon? Uh, well, as far as shitty ones, you've got your your Straw Dogs remake. I guess some people would say... <laughs> I, I guess some people call Black Christmas home invasion. I wouldn't, but if that counts, yeah, the more remake of, of Black Christmas is certainly... Uh, home Alone. You got Home Alone. I got, I got one. Trespass. Nicolas Cage. No, oh, I'd rather watch that yeah. any day. Yeah, it's got Nicolas Cage, so, I mean, that it kind of wins by default. I would say All right. the, the, the typical, like, the spectrum for me before watching the original Purge was uh, original Straw Dogs on the far end of good mm-hmm. and Straw Dogs remake on the far end of bad. <laughs> and now it goes Straw Dogs to Purge 2013. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, There's I, a new low. You guys actually watched the James Marston uh, Straw Dogs? Yeah, you know, some of us hate ourselves enough to do that, Sean. That's weird. Yeah. Welcome to Optimism. I mean, I, mean, I guess if it was if it was in theaters like right now and I had movie pass, I would probably go to it. But uh, but uh, you guys have no excuse. I think I think for for Myros and I, it may have been a like a five dollar special with free popcorn. So you know, at that uh, point, you're practically getting the value. Or it could have been a part of our uh, almost pre-movie pass movie pass scheme with uh, Blockbuster Video. Where yeah, actually, I think that's what it was. So if, if a people perpetual don't... turn style of films. Yeah, so I don't know if I don't know if everybody knows this, all the listeners, but Myros and I are actually single-handedly responsible for the bankruptcy <laughs> the of 2008 Video. Housing clap. Oh, oh. Yeah. So the, I, do you guys remember when they set up that competing service to Netflix? Right. Mm-hmm. So their whole thing was because this is back when you know before Netflix was all about the streaming and it was it was more about the like the you know the DVDs and the mail or whatever, and so Blockbuster had this thing where the plan itself was cheaper. Okay, it was like seven dollars a month, and you got two movies in the mail. I think three actually. Three, yeah, yeah, you're right. We got three movies in the mail, and then every time you returned a movie, you could either drop it in the mailbox or. You could take it to your local Blockbuster video, and when you returned a mail movie uh, uh, like that they mailed to you, you could then trade that in for a free rental from Blockbuster. So at any given point, we just had like six movies in our possession, basically. So we just watched literally everything because we could. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah, and then year, that was a year where if you like any any new release, it was like, well, I've seen it. Of course, I've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then we bankrupted Blockbuster, and uh, here we are. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's this is this is the I, I can't think of anything possibly worse. Jake, do you have anything worse that you could think of? 
for a home invasion thriller? Yeah. I no, I don't know. I I think yeah, The Purge is uh, probably rock bottom in that subgenre yeah. of film. Yeah, Wonderful. I mean, Trespass is undoubtedly terrible, but uh, I don't know. That movie's something. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. at least it's kind of a fun watch. <laughs> Nicholas Cage screaming is better than Ethan Hawke moping through a horror movie. Not necessarily first reformed moping, but uh, anyways. <laughs> and who's the who's the villainous guy in that? That guy's going even bigger than Cage. Oh, Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, yes, Ben Mendelsohn, you're right. Yeah, scumbag extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, guys, before, actually, before we move on, there's one thing that I want to share with you. Because I think we're going to get into the timeline of of these movies, because there seems to be some, Mm. like, I don't know, discrepancies over when these films actually take place. I think we we nailed it, but yeah, go on. Do you know, do you know the actual, and, and not the year, but the actual day that The Purge takes place on? May 20- ah. No, it's March 21st, isn't it? March, March 21st. 21st. And do you know why? No, that I don't know. 321. Um, 321 per. Oh my god. That's the actual answer to that question. <laughs> but wait a minute, half of it takes place hey, overnight, it's so it's 322. Purge. <laughs> I just oh can't, I can't stop thinking about God. these films, and, and thankfully they get to the point by the time they get to uh, Purge election year where people are just literally yelling Purge, and all I can think of is the '90s commercial for uh, Surge Soda, where it's just like a bunch of guys in like baggy cargo shorts and backwards hats yelling Surge. Very similar vibe here. So the Ethan Hawke movie, to clarify the timeline as we move forward, is is the year 2022. Just around the corner. That is. March 21st, 2022. That's correct. So now we move on to the Purge Anarchy, which, in its setup, to James DeMonico's credit, is a a little bit smarter. And I I think this is because he had a little bit more of a budget to work with, so he felt like he could do something on a larger scale. Uh, But this kind of takes place in the streets of a city. So now we are seeing the Purge and how it actually affects real communities which seems a little little smarter here this should have been this should have been the first movie in the series um because the the sorry to go backwards but the Ethan Hawke purge mm. like is the opening credits teases a more global or, or more nationwide catastrophe that we finally kind of get to see in the purge anarchy so they really should have started here if they were yeah. wanted to be any at all smart about it Sure, sure, absolutely. And so, for people who haven't seen The Purge Anarchy, it it really, it's, I don't want to say the word smarter because there's nothing smart about these films, but it's set up as a little little smarter because it gives us a kind of central action hero in Frank Grillo, uh, who plays, I don't know, like, bargain bin, you know, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, whatever role here, uh... And then we have, you know, your, your typical patsies who get caught up in the madness. And it sort of plays like, a, you know, a, Escape from New York Purge Edition, more or less, where they're just trying to survive the night and, and whatever that entails. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I, it reminded me of uh, a Romero movie um, on a certain level, uh, but instead of 
zombies. It's just, you know, people with guns who, you know, because they'll kill anybody just like zombies. They'll go after anybody. It's not really motivated by much. So the purge just sort of like opens up this sort of leveling off. And uh, so everyone is a, everyone is a danger. And um, they are just sort of like wandering around um, overnight and trying to escape. But there are some really nice like shootouts and stuff. And I think there's actually like some Michael Mann stuff going on. I mean, bargain, bargain basement Michael Mann for sure. But it's still like it's taking a lot of the same uh, logistics and some of the same uh, movements um, to create these like shootouts across the street from each other and you know stuff like that but uh what also what i think is really smart about the second one which is a movie i just legitimately like but um is well first of all the vantage point is flipped from the rich upper class to the uh, uh lower middle to low class people and um when it, when the plot really gets cooking, and we'll 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 get to that, uh, it all sort of opens up to us organically. They sort of we're with this central troop that's headed by Frank Grillo, and uh, we're discovering the machinations within different subcultures in society that have monetized uh, or fetishized the, the purge to their will. Um, so we'll get as we talk more about these we'll talk about how that's something that's mishandled but I like the way that they are sort of figuring out uh, all of the extensions of how people are using the purge um, to make money basically yeah well I, I think it's smarter to, to follow around this group of people because you're right they're not like the, the super rich upper class but this movie is still like lily white as fuck and it's again a big part of this is james monaco is a fucking idiot but it expects us to sympathize with these people instead of the people who are like systematically targeted by the purge specifically it asks us to care about frank grillo who is a badass to be fair but chooses to be out there and then the other main couple is again lily white and leaving the city but they just sort of get caught up in everything and then they're they're sort of like using the purge to work out their relationship problems is this is another time where i'm going why are these characters in this movie you have frank grillo and you have the mother and daughter who he's protecting i don't need this other couple they don't add anything to the film Literally nothing, except, uh, you know, and and this is a problem that we're going to encounter, and it really starts with Anarchy more than anything, where the Purge series has no fucking teeth. Like, on, on its surface, it, it tries to be, like, populist exploitation, but those two terms together are just, like, they're, they're polar opposites, and they're yanking each other apart. So, with a movie with no teeth and no clear message behind it what you end up with is a bunch of characters that i don't give a fuck about and things like romantic subplots driven by these characters that i don't give a fuck about 
that are just there because someone decided, oh, this movie, you know, needs some some loving in it and a little little bit of heart or something. I don't know. And it's just not good enough to have Frank Grillo working as a protector for these two people. Uh, yeah, I. As much as as we love Bloomhouse here on the Opvac cast, I, this is an ill fit for their model, I think, because it does. Well, it's it a ball. too hard. This is a cash sure. cow that they've kept around. Yeah, it is a cash cow. But, I mean, as far as successfully exploring the premise, I don't think Bloomhouse is able to allow them to do that because it does have to be more mainstream than it should be. If you're making well, a movie that is indebted to exploitation and endeavors to be exploitation about a day in which all crime is legal, yeah, that should be a nasty goddamn movie. Well, maybe they'll yeah. get there with the ten-part uh, series. I don't imagine. <laughs> well, and these these movies they they don't seem to have a lot of range either. They they really focus in on the murder, and I guess they sort of address that in the first purge, which we'll get to eventually. But <laughs> it's it's odd because if you watch all of these like back to back to back like we did, then you get a little bit more of the bigger picture. But it's just it's it's strange to me that. That's all it does. It just defaults to killing. Like, that's that's the only crime. All crime is legal. Mm-hmm. And then they, they even specifically say, including murder. Like, that's part of yeah. the whole, like, purge, like, warning system that goes off before the stupid alarm, you know? Well, yeah, and uh, one of the things that is sort of untapped in all of these, at least from my memory, is that uh, it doesn't tackle... The moral quandary, uh, like, you know, uh, crime or things being legal does not squelch moral quandaries that people have based on their own compass. So it's like, what about people who are killing because it's legal, but still don't feel good about it? Like, that's just something that's not touched upon, and they've had four movies now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, making these movies about, like, a societal pack of rabid dogs where right. nine out of ten people are psychopaths is insane to me, and it always leads to this sort of really thin motivation for other people, the normal people mm-hmm. to be involved in this. And It doesn't and ground me, it, it at all. Right. Why can't you just... Why can't you make a movie wherein a poor person goes out in the purge because they're trying to make a big score, trying to get uh, ahead, uh, get some money to get ahead. Well, hey, that's that's one of the other smart things that the second one does, starring Lakeith Stanfield now in Sorry to Bother You. Um, uh, that whole thread in the second one of like the, these like poor or working class people who are collecting bodies that are just like laying around to sell to what, like rich people or something? Um like that's that's interesting where you're like you have to you have to find ways to make money during the purge even though you don't really have any wish to kill people but that's what society is now sure so you become because you're you know this oppressed class of people you basically end up working within the capitalist purge system to round up people like cattle for rich right. white guys to kill. So that's interesting. You're, you're complacent in the murder because you have to be because it's a way for you to make money and, and that's that's how you see it. And, yeah. and that Financial is interesting. It, it works. But, but they don't they don't really explore it. And yeah. 
you know, and, and but there's there's more practical things, and, and this is this is the Purge series in general, because they they get into a little bit of that, a lot more of it actually in the first Purge, which is oddly enough the newest Purge because I hate the way sequels are named and released, but Crackles. there's there's the guy in the first Purge where he's actually according to the film the very first person ever murdered in the Purge. And all he's trying to do is he's like, <laughs> fuck this ATM machine. It's taken a bunch of my money and fees. Now I'm going to get him back. And he's just trying to pry open an ATM machine, and then he gets stabbed. Yeah, he got so, vaccinated to death. Guess what I would do? With, guess what I would do with the purge? Exactly fucking that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, well, time to break open an ATM. That sounds great. I don't know. I would, I would have, like, open tabs of Pirate Bay just running all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah i once got caught uh the only time i i got caught uh i wasn't leading the charge but got caught by the cops doing something illegal was um stealing a gumball machine apparently for the coins um so wait wait, yeah, wait. I, wait what back the fuck up this is uh, this is not a purge scenario this is a real thing that you did uh-huh can you uh, you now you have to explain it why the fuck were you stealing a gumball machine <laughs> Uh, I was uh, I was like 16 years old and I was skateboarding with a couple other friends and one of those friends one of those friends had a grudge I didn't know this at the time but had a had a grudge against a uh, a, a business a small business that took over his parents shop or something like that and uh, I also didn't know this at the time but he he tried multiple times with other people to steal one of their gumball machines out of the back door where we would often skate. And one time he 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 got uh, me and uh, my friend to help him, and we got it out, and then we swiveled the top off of the base, so we just had like this big chunk of metal and glass and and weird plastic toys in it, and then a bunch of change, presumably, and we were taking it across the street, and uh, we settled behind this post office. This uh, post office uh, picnic table we sat at, and apparent, and, and all of a sudden this cop car pulls up, and the cop car pulls up, and we're like, "Oh, let, let somebody put a shirt over the gumball machine." <laughs> and, um, this is just then, a baby. Then the cop, the cop comes up, and he, and he's like, "Hey guys, uh, what you doing?" Like oh nothing just skating and he's like oh okay. this is this is my large mute son yeah <laughs> he, goes, he jingles uh, I, when you shake him I just saw you guys run across the street it just it looked like you're in a hurry you're in a hurry and like no we just want to get across the street it's like oh what's under the shirt and my friend goes oh it's a skateboard now if you've ever seen a g- gumball machine you know that that's a stretch but wow. the cop got it back in the car. And started to drive off. And then we saw his brake lights. (laughs) His brake lights and then uh, subsequently his reverse lights. And he backed up and he he took the shirt off or whatever. Saw his gumball machine. And we were caught. Wow. And I had to ride. And I had to ride in in the back of a police car by myself that night to the police station of Alma, Michigan. And... uh, my parents shamefully had to come pick me up. This is this is great too because you lived in like a town of twelve people, so somehow 
you stole like the only gumball machine in town and fucking Barney Fife arrested your ass. <laughs> yeah, basically. Also, the only and, cop in town happened to be driving by you. Yeah, and it was this traumatizing. It was well, traumatizing. I have, a, I have a question. Well, why didn't you change your name to Con Glynis? <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyways, Purge election year takes place 18 years after <laughs> Purge. Wait, wait, wait. We're not off anarchy. No. One more thing I want to say about anarchy. Um, I have something else to mention. Uh, I, I just want to say that director James DeMonico, I cannot emphasize enough that James DeMonico might be the most incompetent man working in Hollywood right now. I cannot, off the top of my head, think of anybody worse. Obviously, we've told you the, the scripts are shit, but the way these films are shot, my God. Can we start a GoFundMe for fucking Mr. DeMonico over here so that we can get him, like, you know, just a gaffer, some lights, something? They're just, it's so, you can't see shit in these films. Everything is flat, everything is ugly, and it is so fucking dark. I actually think that, the, uh, again, we're not there, and I don't mean to transition, but I actually, in spite of your uh, proclamation, I think the first Purge is the ugliest of the bunch. Mm. And that is not directed by James DeMonico. I mean, he still holds the the terrible uh, burden of having written the fucking thing. But Yeah. <laughs> we'll get we'll get there. We keep teasing we'll get it. There, but, and also, just the, the Purge Anarchy, I guess, continues this thread from the the hog purge where uh, every one of these purge movies feels the need to have some sort of heavy that our heroes need to fight. It's not enough that they have to fight just faceless purgers, but there's always some villain in this case. It's like a, a giant hulking ice cream man. Big daddy. Yeah. Big daddy with a truck full of guns. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't even know. Is this an old man with like a, chain gun that disintegrates people. Yeah, which, yeah, just also is a, a real lack of imagination is that the characters just keep running into this person and this is supposed to be a citywide epidemic, but it's apparently smaller than Los Angeles as depicted in the 2004 nom- nominated winning film Crash. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Where does this movie take place? I don't even recall. Uh, Ra- I know the next one's Raccoon City. So they they some of them have real settings. I don't think we've gotten there at Anarchy yet. I think it's just any town USA. Let's find out. Uh, but yeah, you you can look that up. I I don't know. I this is also I think the only one that touches at all on any sort of like gender issues, which is again where this premise leads. Uh, I should have. But yeah, there's there's some gross stuff going on early in the film with a neighbor who tries to force himself on. Uh, the mother and daughter, and uh, yeah, Grillo puts a stop to it. No, actually, Big Daddy puts a stop to it by assaulting their apartment complex with the shock troopers, which that's another running theme of this fucking franchise. Shock troopers just show up every fucking purge to, uh, because, God forbid, we actually say something about society. We've got to have, like, a shadow government fucking do it all this stupid bullshit. <laughs> So it takes place, uh, both the first two Purge movies take place in L.A. This is Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, that That's quite unlikely. <laughs> yeah. 
Downtown LA is any hot spots? No, no. It's it's nondescript downtown buildings. That's on the other side of town. It's just, and it's a lot of empty streets too. It's there's nothing here. They probably shot it in Toronto. Uh, maybe Vancouver. That's more of a stand-in for LA, right? That's fair. Just some yeah. Canadian city, anyways. Uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 Jake, how do you feel about like it? Where does two? Where does anarchy stand in, oh. in your hierarchy? Anarchy is unequivocally the best one for me. Um, I think okay. I think Frank Grillo is a, a real saving grace in the two films he's in. He lends a sort of B-movie gravitas that these films are otherwise lacking. I think the expansion of the scope from the first film is also helpful, even if it is end up being just a wide lack of imagination and any sort of wit with you know this new playground that they have. But uh, and then also, I think aesthetically, it's the best looking of the three films, um, too. Just a, a hordes of people in the weird masks, um, which goes overboard in election year. But yeah, two anarchy for me is without a doubt the best one. I'm sure, or hopefully, you guys agree. Yeah, uh, I do. I do. Yeah. I think we had a dissenting opinion, but I also yeah, think, I. I yeah. We'll, I mean, we I will get to it. We will get to it, you guys. So- yeah, I mean, for for me, I, I think it's it's a toss up for me between. Uh, I, uh, let let me preface this with none of these movies are very good. No, and of course in fact, not. They are bad. They are bad movies. That being said, uh, I think I enjoyed the first Purge marginally more than. Uh, the Purge Anarchy, uh, maybe just because it does a little more thematically, even though it's a, maybe a messier movie than Anarchy. Uh, so, I don't know. It's it's a toss-up for me. Also, something about old James DeMonico's directorial style, I, I, can't, I can't fucking deal with his shit. He just uh, irks me. See, this is easily my favorite of the series because it is... Uh, it, it's a single track. There are superfluous characters, but it's just, it's a movie that goes in a direction consistently. It never really lets up. It's just, you're following these characters through the night. And that's what I want out of this franchise. And uh, this anarchy delivers. I'll, I'll give it that. It's it's not a bad movie, I don't think. I mean, it's not a, a good movie either. There's lots of clumsy bullshit in this movie, but... Uh, it's not. It's not a bad film, uh, especially when you look at it in comparison to some of these others. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and, and Grillo, Grillo rocks. Yeah, Grillo. Grillo is the the saving grace. If you don't have Grillo, then uh, you got nothing. Oh, but, by the way, this movie takes place in the year twenty twenty three. Okay, so a year a year after uh, the Purge, Ethan Hawke edition. That's correct. That is correct. Okay, so. Uh, the next movie in the series, The Purge Election Year, which, holy shit, uh, is bad. But <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem I have with this movie, and keep in mind, I have seen both Anarchy and Election Year twice, including literally like 48 hours ago, I watched all these damn movies, and I still, in my mind... I'm confusing things from the Purge Anarchy and the Purge Election Year because it's such a retread. It's astounding. 
Uh, I think it. I, I watched them a few days apart, but I just watched a, a election year last night, and it definitely looks more expensive. Um, and it is. It was more expensive, uh, but I. I think it lost some of that uh, sort of guerrilla style filmmaking. Um, if that's appropriate. Like, I think it kind of goes zany and uh, a little over the top, and it just doesn't stick to sort of the nuts and bolts that I really liked about the second one. Um, and maybe... It, it, it but, does have mean teens, though, Sean. I, I think I think the teens in this movie, I, you could probably really identify with them based on your, your past. <laughs> if it wasn't yes. gum, it was candy bars. Yeah, yeah it was candy yeah. bars. Yeah, my, my uh, mean streak... Um, on the streets of Alma. Um, you know, it, I, it just didn't connect with me because, like I said, I just needed that sort of kineticism, which, I mean, as poultry as it might be in anarchy, it's there. And here it just it doesn't feel like, even though it is, it doesn't feel as much like a one crazy night type of movie. And uh, like I said, the charm of Anarchy 2 is finding a, finding out these subcultures, these like rich subcultures and what they do to these people. And that just that that works with like such a cheap looking movie. Well, it sort of like accompanies that well. But uh, here it just kind of goes uh, just over the top to me. And it just got to the point. And it also drags on so long, like the second the se- or the the last hour is just like painful because yeah. nothing oh, means yeah. anything anymore, and it's just like set piece to the next set piece, and it, it's just it, it, yeah. It, yeah, this it, is the longest one in the series, by the way. They should be. They should all be ninety ninety five minutes tops. This, this one's an hour fifty, which is right. insufferable. Oh, trust me, I was watching the clock. Ah, <laughs> uh, this. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to bring the time up early in this one because it's it's a bone of contention for me because I find this to be just inexplicably <laughs> stupid fucking script on so many levels. Uh, and as as a cohesive unit, I, this film is like tolerable to me. It is again, it is very much a retread of the second film, and that's uh, not the worst thing for me in this series. But it, it the script is just a. We, we've already established this is a, a franchise that's making good money for Blumhouse. There's there's no reason why we should be wrapping things up, yet they, they set this in such a way where this takes place in the year 2040, a, a sound 17 years after the last film. Um, and it stars Frank Grillo again as the exact same character, and he what looks, kind of uh, could have filmed these back to back? Like it could have been a single shoot. <laughs> <laughs> they they put zero effort into to making him uh. appear aged in any way. He he is identical, and even worse to me is that uh, the second movie they had uh, Michael K. Williams, or is it Michael B? I can never uh, or Jordan. God, I'm all over town. It's William uh, T. Michelson. It's Omar. They had Omar. Michael K. Williams. <laughs> Michael K. Williams. I had it right all along. Um, From Superfly. Yeah. So they had him as like the leader of the resistance. And in the third film, he must have told him to fuck off because it's the purge election year. And so they actually have the guy who is the homeless man who Ethan Hawke allows into his house in the first film. 
plays the rebel uh, leader, uh, if you will, and it's not. It's the same actor and the same character, and the guy is younger than I am. He's he was literally thirty one years old at the time of shooting, and this was supposed to take place eighteen years. Well, after Ethan Hawke's uh, thing, and again, do they? You can make a thirty year old look fifty. That's doable. Mm-hmm. They don't. The guy looks twenty five. Myros, uh, believe it or not, there's an explanation for this. I figured I am, it out. I am listening. Okay, so. I was also confused about this timeline, but thanks to uh, the joy of the IMDb trivia page, figured it out. Are you ready for this? Sure. Okay. Here's what the IMDb trivia page says. This movie takes place two years after the events of The Purge Anarchy. Bullshit. Okay, wait, 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 wait. The same gap as between the release of both movies. Some sources erroneously reported that somewhere between 15 and 17 years have passed between this film and The Purge Anarchy, but the characters played by Frank Grillo and Edwin Hodge, who were both in movies, have clearly not aged accordingly. Here's the thing. All right. The confusion may have come from the fact that there are 18 years between the prologue and the rest of the movie. But this prologue already took place 15 years prior to 2013's The Purge. The so, prologue takes place during the fucking Purge! I, so, yeah, but what they're saying which is... started in 2017! <laughs> this, is, this is like... The earliest yeah. conceivable day it could be is 2035. 2040 is not a date I made up. It was something I found online myself. But the earliest conceivable way the timeline can work is that this movie takes place in 2035, which is at the very yeah. least 12 years after. Well, I mean, uh, if anything, this Anarchy. speaks to how fucking incompetent these movies are, because even if you were to take this IMDb trivia nonsense as the absolute gospel, okay, then which why would you why would you, why would you have a prologue to your movie that set 15 or 17 years in the future. It was 18. And then, it was 18, or 18 years. years. Yeah, 18 years in the future. And then not tell us that the film following the prologue is actually two years after the per. Like, how, what, where, how? What is that? But, so, okay. If this, if this makes sense, then the first purge doesn't make any fucking sense because... What you're telling me, but even in the first movie, The Purge, fucking these titles, uh, it, uh, Ethan Hawke specifically says it's the sixth Purge or something like that. Uh, so it's already established. And the the prologue, you want to tell me this predates The Purge? Because the prologue is just a guy sitting around in a purge mask, listening to his purge playlist, purging the fucking family of this would-be presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the thing about this whole timeline that doesn't make sense to me is that this is the perfect setup, this concept of the purge is the perfect setup for a serial. I mean, uh, uh, I guess just like a franchise, but like it's the perfect setup for just like this year's purge, this year, this year's purge, the next year's purge. Uh, it doesn't have to be so convoluted. Um, and then just just have like I guess good writers which seem to be out of reach uh, and no, I got come James up with Monaco, new, man yeah come up with new you know scenarios that that are just interesting for us to watch or new characters that they find like I said the Lakeith Stanfield we see him in the second one 
we could he could have been a prime a secondary character in the in the third one uh and then you know other stuff like that that's all it needs to do uh it just needs to be you know like uh whatever i mean we'll see what the series is but it could just be walking dead i mean a show i i think i i can't watch but I think it's really bad, but uh, or at least was from my exposure. But like that's just you know outbreak, and then they go to a different city, and then they have to deal with it. Then like that's all this stuff needs to be. It doesn't need to be so difficult. But uh, they want to do like this whole election thing, and I don't know. There has to be other ways to yeah <laughs> get it, around that. It doesn't. There's no reason why. You're right. They're already they're in a different they're in a different world. The, per, the the they don't have to extend it to like these different election cycles. Like make up your own election cycles. Just write what right. you want. Also, let's keep in mind again they they do stick to the same election cycles. I think so. Even 2035 doesn't make sense. It have to be at least 2036. Uh, <laughs> and and beyond that. They they do arbitrarily change election day to sometime in May for no fucking reason. But uh, why? Uh, Three, two, to your one. point, why isn't the why isn't this the uh, Keith Stanfield character? Uh, why isn't he the presidential candidate? Why are there all these ancillary characters that keep coming in? It, that's not how you make low budget movies. <laughs> Just let's add more nonsense to the cast. Isn't, I, I don't Ro- isn't like Roger Corman still alive? Uh, yeah, he's still alive. Just call him up, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> Get him sure. Fucking producer credit. He can advise on the fucking creation of these things. But the other baffling thing to me is like what you're describing. You, this is a franchise that doesn't need to end. Why do you make this movie that is, it might as well be called The Last Purge? Because it's putting an end point on your series. Uh, whether that endpoint is apparently some inexplicable two years down the line instead of what you directly state in your film, uh, either way, why are you making a movie about the last purge when you're clearly just gonna make another one and, and you want to churn as much money out of this product as you possibly can? Oh, sure. It's it's completely baffling, and also it's it's kind of baffling to me that. Because these movies are so fucking ham-fisted and on the nose with their contemporary, like, heavy finger quotes political commentary, which is more or less just be like, hey, it's kind of like the thing that is happening now. Uh, so we are, we are the, the setup is, you know, evil, like, religious right-wing government uh, versus... Uh, this you know liberal lady, but it, she's like the fucking poster child for like boring white liberal centrism. <laughs> like, and there's this really telling scene where she's literally saved by this you know African American resistance force in the city that's actually doing something to to help people, and her response to having her life saved by these people is. I appreciate you saving my life, but just so you know, I don't like your tactics, which is like the most fucking like white liberal lady bullshit in the entire fucking world. These are the people who got mad because, you know, during a, a, a political march, some guy like broke a Starbucks window and they're just fucking clutching their pearls like this is and that that's set up as your savior. And this is stopping the purge. So not only are you like shitting on your franchise, but you're basically saying that the actual people in these films that are you know, the most affected by what happens during the purge, they don't actually fucking matter. 
and it's this random lady that's that's your your great white savior basically which is infuriating and incredibly stupid yeah, and it's not set up in the world either where even in this film they're still talking about one percent unemployment uh violent crimes down to nothing <laughs> right. why, why are they being voted out of power everyone in society <laughs> is either a slavering psychopath or getting rich off of this event yeah, yeah it's, it seems pretty ossified at this point it's just God, I hate this fucking movie. I did you hear really, something, Jake? I, uh, I I I vaguely remember this one uh, as being any good at all. Um, Persian from your memories. I, I per, no, I I'm, say, I'm honestly having trouble. Did Frank Grillo self destruct a laptop at one point to escape? Yeah, is that I this see. movie? Oh, yeah, for sure. That was a thing. Yeah. I will say this one did not benefit from binging or uh, whatever you, you want to call it, but like uh, I, it probably would have played a lot better if I didn't see uh, the previous Purge like within you know a couple of years, let alone a couple nights. So um, that by the time I watched this, I was just, like I said, just kind of like watching the clock, waiting for it to to, to get over. Yeah, uh, it's this movie. Looks a little better. It's got some interesting sort of visual world building stuff. Aquila's uh, got a jawbone or a, a, a jawline that uh, you could write home. Sure, yeah, write home I, I do, I do like the, I, I like the good jawline, but I, I don't. We haven't even emphasized this enough, and I know we said it like five times. This movie moves at the pace of fucking molasses. Okay, mm-hmm. like you, you would you would get a faster pace purge movie out of Bellatar. It's just. <laughs> And, and honestly, I, I would I would watch Bellatar's Purge movie too because you know like the first thing they would do is just like slaughter a, a giant blue whale and drag it in the middle of the streets or something. So uh, that that'd be a little more visually interesting. Well, Lord knows he'd have something to say at least. I don't know if I'd understand it, but he'd be saying something. <laughs> he sure would be saying. Uh, Should we move on to the first Purge? Yeah. yeah well, we one more thing that. before we move to the, the first Purge. And I, I kind of dropped off of the of the Skype call that we're using to record this for a little bit, so I hope you guys didn't mention this. But I, I also would like to drive home that James DeMonico has never actually had a conversation with a black person, just in case anyone was wondering. That has never occurred in his life. I don't think he's ever even, like, he's never had a, a black he person. Was, he was powdered for, like, the first 25 years of his life. Yeah, he, exactly. There's, like, the guy who plays the, the shop owner in this the dialogue that is written for him is some like so over the top ridiculous shit like this is like he james demonico never met a black person and watched birth of a nation and was like yeah like dw griffith's onto something with his portrayal of african americans let's let's get this updated a little like that's it's it's ridiculous the dialogue that this guy spouts out. It's it's fucking insane. This movie is so just off its mark with everything it tries to say politically. It doesn't build off of anarchy at all. It just goes off into fucking oblivion. And if you want to make this series completely crazy and off the rails and ridiculous, there's a way to do that. But I'm telling you, give me tanks that are shaped like MAGA hats and, like, fucking Flavor Flav in a mech suit, like, tipping one over or something. You have to go over the top with this, because the way it's portrayed now, it wants us to take this movie seriously, and it is impossible, impossible to take this movie seriously in any capacity. 
Yeah, yeah. And that character also suffers from more of the same fucking great motivation where he, for some reason, decides he has to stay out because he, his insurance gets canceled on his fucking convenience store. It's like, again, he's an impoverished convenience store owner. Couldn't we just say, oh, the business is going under. I got to make a score on purge night. No, we got to make up yeah. this fucking nonsense to be like, people hate insurance companies, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, I I don't know how it could get any dumber unless he was just like, man, Verizon just called me on purge night and they're raising my rate by $10 a month. <laughs> Looks like I got to go out and try and save the world. Like, that's that's literally what we're driving towards here. It's it's insane. It's so it's insane. That's the most frustrating thing about these movies. And it's the worst. The, the final one we'll cover is that it's so easy to see the movie in these. You're like, oh, there it is. There's the skeleton for a good movie that is just fucking broken in half every time. Yeah. It's great, yeah. Every time you see the potential for something good, they find a way to squander it, even if it's right in front of you. Like, they, they've found ways in this series to fuck shit up, where I'm like, I don't even know how you got to this point where you could actually fuck this up. It, you know, it's it's like someone's making a, a two-foot putt, and instead they just take out their driver and fucking smack everyone in the crowd first and then launch it off into a lake. It, it doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense. But hey, Myros, tell me about the first purge. The first purge. Which is also the newest purge, because that's how movies work. The first purge is... Uh, ostensibly trying to be a, a black exploitation movie, I think it's it's trying to capitalize on current political culture in a way that perhaps none of the others quite so boldly thought they were going to go for. But this swings for it and misses wildly. But um, it is uh, about the first purge. The new founding fathers have have declared. Uh, a test of the purge on uh, Staten Island? Is it Staten Island? Yeah, Staten Island. Yeah, uh, which, by the way, is not like an African-American area, I don't believe, in, in reality. Nah, it's, it's like a literal garbage dump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor white trash, uh, but not in this movie. Here it's like Harlem or something, and uh, yeah, so part of this involves spooky cat eyes and uh, yeah. uh about 700 too many characters and uh, a plot line that doesn't know where the fuck to go and there you go and Marissa Tomei embarrassing herself yeah, yeah. there's in this movie and I, I I think you know I go back and forth on this I, I may like this one a little bit more than Anarchy uh, just because that's it, fucking crazy to me but go on I, I don't know there's there's something I see the best Purge movie in this movie. Yeah, because it's if there, it doesn't but get it's there. fucking so bungled. <laughs> it's, it's there more than any of the other ones. It's so close. And you have... So the, the Frank Grillo analog here, I guess, is this guy who is a... He's, he's a drug dealer. He's basically Superfly, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right, Sean? Superfly. Yeah, the, uh, I was watching this because I saw Superfly, and I was like, "This is the better Superfly." This guy is a—he's uh, in, uh, an insecure. The, the HBO show Insecure, which he's very good in, and um, this is uh, this is the better Superfly movie because Superfly looks like uh, an actor from like Dawson's Creek. He has the 
formidable presence of, um, I don't know, a high school student. Uh, and this guy actually, uh, who's also drug kingpin, um, just, uh, you know, he's got that stern face. He looks like a man and, uh, he's fucking I, pretty I like jacked too. I gotta say. Oh, he's super jacked. Yeah. He looks, he looks me. He, he makes me look thin, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh yeah yeah this is yeah, this is the better super fun movie. Like, the character on the surface there there's something here and basically the movie that should be here is what ends up happening throughout the course of the film is people aren't purging the way that the government wants them to purge because we've we've been trained by watching the original purge movies that everyone is a fucking psychopath just trying to you know kill each other and the reality is if you say, hey, all crime's legal, people aren't going to just go off and start shooting each other in the head. Most people are going to be like, sweet, I'm going to do cool drugs and maybe like rob an ATM and, and do some like, you know, petty crime here and there. And this guy decides that he's going to use this night to basically lock his shit down and sort of kind of protect his community. And then what happens is, is these opportunist white supremacist people are introduced in the film and they start you know, inciting violence and, and committing murders. And it, this is the first time it's very explicit in the film, too. It's like literal, like, KKK guys, you know, white militia guys and things like that. So the better movie here is Drug Dealer Turns to Protect His Community, which is very, like, classic black exploitation, and that's that. But instead, yeah, it, what we get is a colossal mess that sort of tap dances around that and almost gets there but then doesn't as myros has mentioned the main problem of this movie is whitey mcwhite pudge face and marissa tomei uh whenever they talk like there needs to be there needs to be a no uh like they need to be edited out of some cut and just give us that movie um and uh it's i mean like the main problem with that that part, I mean, like, all of their stuff is bad, but uh, with the white militia, whatever, like, they introduce them as if they're, like, just drones, which I believe drones are also in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but they introduce them as just, like, this swarm of fleet, you know, like, foot soldiers that they can just, like, push out with, with, with a button. And um, that's not, that that sort of undermines that black exploitation thing of just, like, you know, because uh, real white nationalists, they don't believe in being, you know, just like uh, pawns for the government. They, they're they their own system. They work uh, out of their own moral system and and uh, code. And this that this whole infrastructure undermines that when really it should just be about them being like, oh, this is our night to take back our country. Um and then you know the drug dealer uh, saves the saves the neighborhood, and but that whole that whole power infrastructure just like sort of uh, doesn't let that just be its own thing. Well, yeah, for, this yeah. is such an easy throughway for me, where you're like, here's the setup for the movie. You've got Dimitri and his ex girlfriend, and the ex girlfriend's trying to do good for the community, and he's a drug lord doing good for himself. So yeah, he does he does what he does. He sets up shop. He says, I'm going to protect my shit during this fucking purge. And you even go a step further. This, this Another plot element that happens, should happen in the movie, where some members of his organization decide that they're going to 
rob him. They're going to take over. Great, great conflict. It's just, but he's still very self-serving. And then you have this sort of agency from outside the community in these white nationalists who you could easily just depict as as sort of flooding into Staten Island uh, prior to the purge to get in on this action. And and as Sean said, sort of make this declarative statement about the country and race. And you from there, you have Dimitri turning a corner narratively and, and developing as a character and, and growing to defend his community. And he ends up with his ex and uh, it, all is well. Yay, the end. That's a fucking tight exploitation movie. <laughs> so I to go back to what Steve, you said that like this purge works for you the best because of it thematically, but I understand where you're coming from, but the execution of this movie leaves a whole lot to be desired. Uh, oh, sure. For, yeah. First of I'm all, I can argue that I don't think Marissa Tomei w- was on set for more than three days. One of which appeared no. to have been in front of a green screen the entire time, which looks awful. This is I uh, to yeah. go back to what Adam said earlier. This is the ugliest looking Purge movie, uh, and the climax of the film takes place in a single building where there is a strobe light going off for about ten minutes. So the final action set piece is borderline unwatchable. And mm-hmm. uh, forget me if I'm or correct me if I'm wrong, but like, is this like the conceit here? Is that the government hired set up this? This is a purge test run, and it's only taking place in one borough of New York. And isn't like the government hired these white supremacist mercenaries mm-hmm. to basically slaughter the Black Lives Matter movement? Is that mm-hmm. is that what this movie's about? Because like hundreds yeah. of black people are killed off screen in this movie. Like a whole church of them, it just wiped out, and a whole uh, like the projects are all wiped out. It's it's this is offensive. It's fucking. Uh, that, that's the plot. Although, yeah. To be fair, that's the plot of anarchy as well. <laughs> yeah, I think and, the and uh, election year, and <laughs> I think the um, God, who is that psycho? The or the guy Skeletor. who has, like mental issues. That's just such an awful character. He's oh. like. He's like uh, mainlining Wolverine and just like <laughs> slashes people up with syringes. Like this Again. isn't a thing that works. We need a heavy uh, in the movie and we get Skeletor. And then like Myros, Myros pointed out at one point, what is he doing? Uh, he's doing a, f- not is it Freddy? Where he's just like clinking yeah. on the... Yeah, he like yeah. drags him across a brick wall and everything looks like ass, but it's clearly a, a Nightmare on Elm Street thing. Yeah. Well, and, and this movie... It's weird because in its presentation of villains, and this is another like uh, larger purge problem across the franchise, where it's hard to distinguish what the, the the villain is, you know, the opposing force. And this movie gives us, well, you know, the government and the, the people that are in charge of this Marissa Tomei purge nonsense, and then they give us Skeletor, who is the guy with the Freddy Krueger setup, who as a villain. He only serves to drive a subplot that's totally superfluous and, and not necessary, and he doesn't really belong in the movie for any reason at all. And then you have your villain, which is he only appears in like the last 15 minutes. But, like, yeah, like if this movie is about crazy Nazi death troop leader man and his Nazi KKK death squad that's going through the projects murdering black people, like that's your villain. You got it. But you just kind of, you literally introduce him in the last 15 minutes of the movie, 
and then that's it. There's nothing to it. Yeah. He's 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 literally a scary giant Nazi man in a leather jacket with a bazooka. Like what what else do you need from a villain? Why does the Skeletor guy exist? Like I don't see what this the Skeletor guy adds to the film except to give it this like I don't know, it undermines again the narrative by saying, "Oh, but you know, it's it's more of this like both sides nonsense because on one hand you have the movie saying that yeah, like you have this drug dealer who sells drugs essentially to get by because that's what he has to do, but also he wants to protect his community, and that's something that you can explore. But then you have this guy, and you can talk about like the damage that he does as a drug dealer, but just setting up this Skeletor guy as like, oh, wacky crackhead caricature, it doesn't do anything. There's there's no substance there. Yeah, because she does bring it up at, at some point about like that he, he, he is complicit in this, and yeah, they just... Uh, it's it's a mess and it's, it, it is really frustrating um, I will give it credit for one thing it didn't like when they set up the stupid cat eye context that are cameras I was like ah fuck this movie's gonna be like so much POV at least they did not attempt to do POV yeah that's true well, yeah. see I think that they could have done something useful with that which was what they should have done is like, forgive me uh, for bringing this up, but something, you know, Ready Player One adjacent where uh, you have, instead of us only, instead of that being like a government thing, like that's a privatized thing. Oh, it or, could have been like players on a battlefield is what you're saying. Yeah, but where rich people are just like playing poor people for the night and that's their pleasure is this visceral like thing like being John Malkovich type thing uh, yeah. but that's that's completely wasted yeah that's almost an idea or you could maybe use it to evoke like police body cams or something of that oh nature. sure but uh, instead as much as I'm glad this particular director did not attempt to, to work in POV uh, what they did was just again, the stupidest looking fucking thing where everyone has just got neon eyes for no goddamn reason. And it looks terrible. Uh, the finale to me is, is like the least forgivable thing because it's set up in this sort of like reminiscent of the raid or something like assault on precinct 13 or something where it's just, you have your, your Dimitri, the main character is trying to rescue his ex and her brother from, this project uh, that is under assault from these outside forces. And he, I, I just hate the way they handled all of this, because they set up early in the film his sort of, like, right-hand lieutenant who's, like, the kick-ass, going to be, like, an action sidekick, a great character. And she's she, along with the rest of his gang, is killed off by a fucking drone right before he enters into the building. <laughs> yeah, a, a dozen of them arm up with every gun in their stock, and then they're killed by three drones. Yeah, you're like, here we go, it's gonna get rolled, this is gonna be awesome, and then they just fucking kill them all with drones, <laughs> and they enter the building, and for no reason, there's a terrible strobing light. I, I mean... If you went to see Incredibles 2, there was a seizure warning in front of it. This this needed one as well, I'd say. I, I couldn't fucking tolerate what they were doing. What is this light? Where is it coming from? Why is it there? Yeah, well, and, and the, the funny thing about that, too, is when he first enters the building, once you get over the initial shock and anger of, oh, his whole gang is gone and that's bullshit, uh, there's 
like a good five minutes where you know there's there's a couple of good fight outs there's this scene in a stairwell where he grabs a couple guys and there's some pretty nice as far as i'm considering like you know uh, action sequences and then they just add in the strobe light yeah that stairwell fight is probably the most confident thing in the movie yeah for sure for sure that's the high point what is the in-world source of this light that's what i want to know I think it's like a fire alarm, but it doesn't. That's make not sense. a thing. <laughs> no, but I mean, if there is, I, there is definitely an alarm in the building, but it is somehow an alarm that's hooked up to every light that exists in every single apartment <laughs> building of this of this of this project. Yeah, so I mean, I've seen plenty of of fire alarms where if they go off, then there's like a, a strobing light that accompanies them. But all he does is turn off the power. So does he turn off the power? And then pull the fire alarm, but you don't hear the alarm really. You just got the strobe light thing going. Like I don't. It's weird. I don't get it. Yeah, maybe the emergency lighting was a strobe light. That's all they could afford. It's all they could afford. Well, the the big question is, you know, and I and I think we've we've pretty much discussed this this film and this series about as much as one can without your brain melting out of your ears. Uh, Sean, could you tell me where does this fit into David Ehrlich's theory of uh, of Nice core cinema. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I. You know, I'm trying not to get angry. Yeah. Uh, just trying to have, you know, pleasant life, have my own nice life. Yeah. And then you, you would just try to ramsack in my door like it's purge night. You know, that's uh, that's what I do, man. You know, sometimes you get a big chubby for Paddington 2, and you got to try and make something called Nice Core a thing, and you write a big article about it, and no one cares because you're an idiot. I'm, I'm just saying. See, the thing is, Steve, the thing is when you have nothing to say about cinema, uh, you have to come up with buzzwords so people think you have something to say, when mm-hmm. in reality it's just uh, you're inventing something that's been around in movies since I don't know 1900. Oh, that's, that's the beauty of this, Myros. Are you are you familiar with David Ehrlich's uh, Nice Core? Yeah, I read about a hundred words. That's about <laughs> all I can tolerate. Dude, I, I I love the opening where he basically calls he he literally calls I shouldn't say basically he literally calls Paddington Two the Citizen Kane of of Nice Core. Uh, but I I, I, I think we I mean there's there's plenty of. Um, Theses, schmises. Uh, the thing uh, um, that I love most about that, I know two of you haven't seen this, but he loops in Let the Sunshine In as Nice Core, which is like if you've seen Let the Sunshine In, like if you've actually like sat there and engaged with it, uh, you know, at all. Uh, I don't know how you walk away being like, what a nice movie. <laughs> uh, uh, this movie about this woman just like getting absolutely just like disappointed by man after man after man with no end in sight. Yeah. Does this movie have a uh, big dick energy? Again, Jake, uh, I'm just trying here. I'm trying to live my life. <laughs> Listen, the, the Purge has strobe light energy. You've established that. There's no big dick energy here. Sure. Uh, nice car. I don't know. What kind of. I, does Paddington have a dick? Does Paddington fuck? It does if you've seen the Mad TV sketch. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> that's one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you heard it here so, first, folks. Padding Mad, Fox. Mad TV had like a something called Clops, which was cops but with claymation figures, uh-huh. and the uh-huh. cops arrest Paddington because he keeps opening up his raincoat <laughs> to flash people. And there's like a little sensor bar where his dick should be. And they throw him in, uh-huh. into the back of the police car and slam the door. And they slam it on his dick so the sensor bar is hanging outside. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mad TV, there's a lot of shit that got produced on Mad TV umbrella, but there's also a lot of really funny stuff. I only, I only gave it up, they never saw. I only remember that because the scream Paddington makes when, he's, when his dick gets smashed in the door is one of the funniest screams. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm putting over this week. Uh, you're, where, you're, uh, put, you're putting over Paddington getting his dick smashed on that TV. <laughs> That's where Michael Keegan Key and Jordan yeah. Peele uh, cut their teeth. That's right. Yeah. Op podcast where you come for. 20-year-old mad TV recaps. That's that's what we do, baby. Uh, it's yeah, due we'll, for reevaluation. Me and Coleman are going to like do a sharking the jump on mad TV. <laughs> I, I think b- before before we do putovers and stuff, one more thing I want to say about the Nice Core is my favorite thing about it is uh, he says uh, that, you know, even if the Trump era is regrettably still in progress, its pop cultural legacy may already be taking shape on a global stage as this nice core thing that he's trying to make a thing, which is uh, awesome because the, this is the this is like the worst possible scenario of like dudes who after Trump's elected like man this sucks but like how good is the punk rock music gonna be for the next four years? It's like fuck you, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird when when adults. Uh, say that David Ehrlich is a good writer. Like, um, it, it, I think even like uh, his coworkers probably are resigned to the fact that he's not because I mean they they're all in the same like they know it. They, well, and they, also he, he doesn't he doesn't like pay his his workers particularly well. So I don't know how high of an opinion he ha- they have of him. Sure, but like, uh, um, I mean, they all you know they're not a, they're not blind to uh, Twitter and like. Just the round the clock bashing of, of that that site, but it's just uh, so I, I think the people that he runs in circles with are just like friends with him. I would be very uh, impressed if they they uh, thought that his writing had anything to do with uh, the movies that he uh, posits his writing is about. Mm. Yeah, I I'm, like I'm, I think it's a hopeful idea that instead of punk rock, we'll all be fucking singing Skidamarinky Dinky Doo or something. And that's, <laughs> that's a real fucking counteraction to Trump. Yeah, let's all fucking hug it out. Get fucked. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Well, you know what? At least I'm I'm sort of insulated from all this because I I got I got blocked by by Big Dave. And I, I think- <laughs> that's incredible. Like people, like you know, uh, I've seen people who harass him. My, uh, that, I mean. <laughs> I honestly, uh, I, I didn't even, I didn't even harass him. Like the, the 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 straw that broke Big Dave's back was, like Jack mentioned him. Jack Eason, Optimus Invention, untagged yeah. contributor, yeah, untagged mentioned him, and was just like, "Hi, this is a really bad take on this thing," and then I replied with something like, "Oh, Big Dave strikes again," or something like that. Like I literally just called him Big Dave, and. Then he literally like name searched. Yeah, hit him where it hurts. He name searched himself on Twitter like a fucking psycho, and and then just blocked me. So I'm heartbroken, but I'll uh, I'll get over it. There's plenty of bad film writers. Well, out when there. you're shout out to Devin Ferracci. 
When your legacy is, uh, you know, your Twitter following, um, that's what you do is you vanity search all day. Yep. That's the way to do it. Well, boys, you know, in, instead of putting over things today, uh, which is too bad because I was going to put over the uh, braying zoo of animals that Jake has in his home. <laughs> My cat just joined me. <laughs> oh, we know. Us. Uh, so I, I would like you guys to just kind of go around and tell me, if the purge was implemented in real life, what would you what would you be doing on purge night? What what kind of crimes would you commit? Uh, I'll, I I can go first. Go for it, buddy. I feel like I would just uh, uh steal a car. I don't know. I, I mean, that, I, that's pretty. You are the criminal of the group here, so that's pretty bold. But I'd expect that. Yeah. I would have to think it has to be uh, it has to be something. Uh, I mean, like we talked about ATMs, right? Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do something to like a sh- you know uh, like a loan shark or something like that. That's probably much more prepared. I would I don't know. I would spend like 364 days learning how to hotwire a car and break into one, and then I would do that. It's it's kind of like that uh, that movie pirating PSA. Yeah. It's just like. You wouldn't steal a car, would you? But you steal movies. And, and Sean Glennis' response is, uh, yes, I would steal a car if I knew how to do it and it was legal during the 12 hours of the purge. Which, is, yeah, uh, if, if I knew how to do it, just like I know how to steal movies, I would. Yeah. No, agreed. that's not true. Uh, but like I think we've talked about on this podcast before, if, uh, if the car, if I could just uh, press a button and that car would duplicate, I would take that. Yeah, I would definitely do that in a heartbeat. Myros, how about you? How how would you spend your purging hours? Uh, um, I would probably I'd want to be involved in some sort of heist. You gotta you gotta get a heist going. I think the purge. A little Michael Mann action for, for you. Uh, I picture it more as an oceans type thing. It's gonna be a lot of fun. A zany, uh, mad cat. Uh, heist is is uh, Delroy Ling- Lindo there? Uh. <laughs> Yes, we're gonna have Delroy Lindo along. I who wrote that? What's that guy's name? God, slipped my mind. The iambic pentameter guy. I don't know Shakespeare. I don't know. I, I Glenn, see. I see. Uh, My, Myros would to me would be uh, he'd be a character from the new Oceans movie. I see him as uh, Aquafina's uh, character in the new Oceans movie. Well, that that kind of works for me. That's a pretty good character. Now, I don't really have any skills to bring to the table in a heist. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. What what would your role in a heist be? I we're talking. Theater, He's that right? guy. He's reality. like the guy in in Anarchy. He, the guy, the boyfriend. That's that's basically Myros's. Role. He would no guys. He would make the logo for the van to make it disguised as like another business. Oh yeah! You print out like a pest control logo, and like, oh, that that can't be them. Those are just the pest control guys. The reality is, uh, I would probably just sit at home uh, and be thankful I live in the the deep country. But uh, I'd like to, I'd like to imagine a world in which I'm trying to make uh, money off the situation because I don't really want to work in the capitalist system for the rest of my life. So uh, I'd like to get out, get the fuck out. Sure, that works. Jake, how about you? What are you going to do during the purge? I would take a brick to the window of my local Barnes & Noble and just read the Criterion oh. section. Uh, That's some that nerd-ass nice. shit. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I would I would take stuff with a, with abandon, and I would sell whatever I don't want the next day legally. 
Wait, maybe that's what I'd do. I'd break into Jack's apartment and set fire to his DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to be Just to in. fucking do it. I would I, also... I know, uh, you, you could just... Yeah. Why don't you just steal all of Jack's unopened Blu-rays that he's bought over the years? It's like, for, for sale, never opened, Nashville <laughs> Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I think for me during the purge, I would, I would one, I would pirate a lot of movies and, and various things. Just wouldn't you, know, you do that anyway? That, that's true. That's true. But now I wouldn't have to worry about. I just let it run. And uh, while that's happening, I would also, I, I would probably spend the year researching, uh, you know, hacker types, uh, white collar criminals, things of that sort, and just figure out a way to erase my student loan debt. However, that that would take place. That's yeah, what I would go. That'd for. be cool. That's good. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Steve's or I would just try to steal to, as much as that. Steve's big plan is to turn off his VPN for a night. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going wild. VPN's gone. I'm no longer in Portugal. Here I am. Nothing you can do about it. Suck my dick, Comcast. <sighs> that's yeah. That's that's definitely what I would do. All right. Is there so, going to be another purge? I mean, there there's there is right. There will be purge forever. There's a purge TV series coming. This our purging yeah, never right. ends. Yeah, which was a teaser what both before and in the middle of the credits of the first purge when I saw it last night. You know, I I, I wouldn't mind if they went. They won't do this, but like may, maybe it would work out. But if they did like a partnership with like Shutter and could do like Myros was saying just go like super you know basically the MPAA is just not involved and they could just do whatever the hell they wanted to as far as content and they have just like this very a la carte service um, as long as they pay them you know handsomely but I doubt that Shudder has that kind of fun I doubt that Purge could pull that off because the first Purge had some of the most egregious CGI blood splatters I've ever seen. Oh yeah, right. I doubt it's going to happen, but yeah, they, uh, they didn't have they didn't have a uh, budget for squibs apparently, so they yeah. just uh, they just went with like MS Paint level shit that they ripped off of like fucking Birdemic or something. And in yep. the scene where all the Superfly and his crew gear up, like they use every single stock sound effect of a gun cock I've ever heard in a movie. Like it's uh, I think that I think that uh, one click that drug. The drug kingpin scene where the the girls double cross him—I think that was a legitimately good scene. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we're coming to this conclusion at the end of the podcast. So, Just we got we got to wrap things up, boys. We're running long. So, uh, hey, if you like today's podcast, there is a link in the description of the very podcast that you were listening to right now. All you have to do. Dear listener, supporter of all things Optimism Vaccine, click on that link, go to our iTunes page, give us five stars, do a written review. Why would you do that? Great question. Because it helps with our visibility. The more visible we are on iTunes, the more we can do for you, and we will continue to grow as the uh, uh, the greatest entertainment podcast in the hearts and minds of American people. That's that's about it. If you want to reach us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. If you want to reach me specifically and uh, yell at me or tell me that Nicecore is good and Paddington has a beautiful dick, at Steve Cuff, that's at Steve C-U-F-F. Sean, where do people find you on the internet? At Mr. Glynis. At Mr. Glennis. And Jake, where are we going to find you at? I'm at Jake Tropila, T R O P I L A. 
Perfect. And Myros, you're not going to find on the internet because he lives on a fucking farm. And that's uh, about it. Uh, yeah. That's where he's hiding out for his next heist. Yeah. All right. Well, Paddington's dick, God's plan. <laughs> I will find a link and send it to you guys. <laughs> link, link to Paddington's dick in the description. Yeah.